I'll eat this magic piece of fruit that came from eat the backyard the tree. Pardon? Eat it with the skin on it. Yeah. Oh, you were going to do that anyway? Oh, wow. You're committing a taboo, Marshall. To eat on a podcast. Is that a calamansa? I'm told. Is it's it? a kumquat. Off the tree. There's something about <laughs> fruit off the tree that is just great. Yeah. Maybe it's because it's fruit. And fruits are great. Yeah. And fresh. Life is so good. We're gonna do the Draftsman podcast, man. Oh, dude, <laughs> bro, Calabunga. Welcome. This is the Draftsman podcast. I am Marshall Vandruff, an art instructor. I'm Sam Rukabenko, artist and instructor, immigrant, son, husband, father. All right, so we're going to be continuing with the Art Schools Project series. We talked about the pros and the cons of going to art school. We talked about how do you recreate art school. If you're not going to go, you're going to need to get knowledge somewhere. You're going to have to figure out a structure for yourself that you can't get from the school. Mentorships, we mm. covered that. And today, we're going to talk about community. You, you ready? we are. We're going to talk about community. Oh, we're going to do this. Yes. Let's go. Let's do it right now. What do we, how would you define community? Healthy togetherness. Healthy togetherness. That's a beautiful definition. <laughs> you wrote it. Oh, did I? Yeah, well, I didn't no write that. I like it. Yeah. In our last episode, we talked about friends as mentors. We did talk about we, it. Yeah, we mentioned that it, it's like you might go to your friends. Yeah. I want to tell you about a master class that I have not gone all the way through, but I've gone about two hours into it. It's Steve Martin's master class. Yeah. Wait, how long is it? Well, it, I don't know how long it is, maybe six or seven or eight hours. I don't know. Oh, wow, but really? we, I, I sat with some friends and we watched an hour and a half of it. Uh -huh. And I was so impressed with Steve Martin as a teacher. He uses great big maxims, uh, philosophical statements like use your rivals or love your rivals or something like that. And then he gives specific instances from other people's lives that he knows and from his own career. Here is someone who has made over a hundred million dollars by being an entertainer and he is going to give you his wisdom about how it's done and his own story of how it's what uh, does he teach stand-up comedy acting, te it's, uh, yeah uh, it's it's mainly about stand-up comedy but okay. it's not only about comedy it's about comedy writing and it's ultimately about a life in the arts in the entertainment oh, okay. arts being an artist yeah now this was uh, at the end of a semester of me teaching a genre class in which the first half of the semester was to adopt your genre, study your genre, and complain about your genre. And then at the midterm, you make a report and you come up with uh, some ideas of stuff you want to work in. The second half of the semester is to evolve your genre. See how you can make it better. Define genre. Genre can be anything. It can be stand-up <laughs> comedy. It can be heralds. It can be tattoo art. It can be... Uh, uh, oil painting, any, anything you want, um, because it's something you're going to adopt and say, this is where I want to excel. This is where is I it want like to... a medium? It can be a medium. It, but it doesn't have to be a medium? It doesn't have to be a medium. It could be like comedy. Now, yes, it can be comedy. Okay, it so... can even be animated comedies that look like they're for kids, but they have dirty jokes in them. Oh, that's now, my favorite. Now, the thing is, genre is a very fluid, uh, the definition of okay. it is hard to, to it's just okay. categories. One, one student shows psychedelic art. I've got, I had two students in there 
that love the 60s and 70s and they My chose second it. favorite they chose that as a genre which i know really well rick griffin and the psychedelic artists the poster art and that kind of thing and uh, they 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 did some i i don't need to take too much of an aside yeah reel us back into community How i'm excited <laughs> about the genre class now at the end of that class that's when i discovered steve martin's master class here's what he tells you to do get together with your best friend or your smartest friend and talk to them about the history of what people have done with this, with stand-up comedy, for example. Hash out all the stuff that you've liked or haven't liked, and then ask, what has nobody done so far that could be done and nobody's thinking about doing? He said, don't do this for an afternoon or a lunch. He said, you should spend days and days on this. Like go on a retreat. Yes. Go camping with a friend and just focus on brainstorming something. Yes. And that, yeah, that is fun. what he did. And that is part of how he changed the world of stand-up comedy. You, people don't know Who what a he big go deal was. Pardon? Who was his, his friend? Uh, I don't remember him saying. Oh, uh, <laughs> but he did talk about, he gave specifically some of the things he noticed that everybody else was doing. Yeah. And that nobody was doing this and that I could do this. Everybody was doing political humor at the time because of the Vietnam War. And he decided people just want a chance to not think about this. So he's going to do stuff that was not about the Vietnam War. And, but he was, he was very specific in the course. I don't need to teach his course for him. Yeah. The point is, your best friend or your smartest friend, this is more than one person. You are talking about it. You're looking at it from different angles. It can be the Brandywine School of Illustration. I know of Justin and Vance did that. I mean, they knew Howard Pyle and N.C. Wyeth and Frank Schoonover and all of that bunch. They knew those compositions inside and out. And they had opinions about them. And then they start to emerge on the scene as people that are doing something like that. And in some ways, even with a, with a greater impact. Yeah. So this is where friends become oh, yeah. your most Man, you're reminding members. me of so much stuff that happened when I was going to art school. I mean, I went on several road trips or, or camping trips with my friends from art school where we would go plain air painting. We would stay at like a cottage. We would have our art books and we would argue about why this is good, this is bad, and you know, different types of art and what's important, like why are we artists? We'd have these discussions that are really important in our development and you can't get that by yourself. Yes, that's, that's community. Yeah. You know, uh, of, of the, the rock and roll bands, Led Zeppelin, evolved from album to album, which bothered us because every new album, this is not Led Zeppelin, and then we'd listen to it and we'd say, wow, this is a good album, it's just different. And they mentioned in interviews in Mojo Magazine back about 2003, that they would go to a place, I think it was called Bron Iyer. What that is that? It was, a, it was a cabin retreat out in the woods that I think it was Robert Plant's family used to go to that when he was a kid. And they'd rent a cabin and, they'd, and they're, they're done with the tour. They've worked really hard, done the tour. Now they go to this cabin and they bring records and they bring new musical instruments and they mess around and they play. And they rediscover themselves. Now, they're not doing That's it fun. alone. They're doing it among four of some of the most talented right. musicians of their time. And they supposedly on one of those, wrote Stairway to Heaven in 17 minutes, because it just kind of came out. There's even a re an early recording of it, but th this, is, this is the idea. A band, bands often don't work because of creative differences mm -hmm. and discord among the members. But when bands do work, 
and they have that harmony together, that's where you get this thing where they lasted yeah. for, they lasted all the way up until John Bonham died, and they did great recordings. That's community. Well, they didn't have any love triangles breaking them up either, though, right? Oh, they did have some issues oh, they that, did. that gave them trouble, yeah, but that's yeah. a whole other topic. I have one more thing to say about Steve Martin's masterclass. Yeah. One of his maxims was to be where it happens. I can't remember how he worded it, but he pointed out how many jobs happen because you're at the same party or you're in the same room with these people. And then they say, hey, you would be the person to use for this. Mm. And that is why I am trying to get certain people who live in the other parts of this world. I'm yeah. trying to get them here because it's like I can talk about them and maybe even get them connected. But there is something about hanging around with these people and getting to, to know them. We would also do like the road trips. It wasn't just staying at a cottage. It was we would drive up the coast of California and anytime we see something interesting, we just stop and just paint. Just stop on the side of the road, get our easels out, paint, compare our paintings, talk about why we did mm -hmm. certain things, and then just keep driving. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big deal. Those are And those are formative years too. Yeah. Those are things you remember the rest of your life. One thing I've noticed about art schools is that, I might have mentioned this in a previous episode, uh, of the regrets that students have when they've left art school and spent all that money, they often think back on what a great time it was, that uh, that was where their lifelong relationships were forged. Yeah, definitely. So how do people do that without the formal structure of going off to an art school? That's what this episode's about. Well, first I wanna reiterate how important that belonging is that feeling that, hey, we came from the same place. It's not even that we were there together. You know, being an alumni of the same school sometimes is important enough for you to, for some people to like, to hire someone else just because they went to Princeton or Yale or whatever, you know. They're like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm the same as you. But it doesn't have to be that you went to the same school. It could be any connection that could bring you together. Yeah. And you guys were part of the same forum online and you're like, you're, you're BD2 Prince yeah, Queen? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember seeing, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what Prince Queen, <laughs> Prince Queen, what yeah. just came out. But, but yeah, just like following the same Reddit thread. Subreddit. Subreddit. Mm -hmm. You know, or it could be anything. You did the same challenge. You, you were doing the same animation challenges back in the 90s or it could be anything. Anything that brings you together and you're like, hey, yeah, you're a real person. Mm -hmm. Putting yourself out there and, and participating in communities will get you connections to other people that are participating That's right. in the same community. It's extended community. Yeah. I've seen it happen with that same thing happen at the beginnings of, of where people were posting on, it wasn't Instagram at that time and it wasn't Reddit at that time, but I was showing previous students work at this school who did this project and one of the students was watching the previous person, I follow this person, I follow this person, I know them. And I thought they did that in this class. And there's a sense that if somebody could take this class and succeed like this artist that I follow, maybe I could follow in the same footsteps. The talent code guy talked about that. That how, so. how much great talent came out of Florence and how oh, the, yeah. the popular music coming out of this Texas town and the soccer teams and that kind of thing, that there's a sense that if I go into that community, mm -hmm. I might be like that community and come out as successful as people have. Yeah. Well, those are like microcultures though, that right? That yeah. Yeah. would promote some sort of behavior in a town. That's right. Nowadays, that can happen online. They yes. don't have to be physically in the same 
part of the world. They just have to be mm-hmm. in the same digital space, talking with like-minded people online as well. I don't remember any client out of all of those uh, 100 art directors that hired me ever asking me whether I had a degree or ever asking me about my grades or having, having even time to even think about it. All they cared about was, can you do the job? Right. But when I worked for some of them a few times and we'd get talking socially, we'd find out we both went to the same community college. John Gothold and Bruce Mayer were two of the movers and shakers of creativity in Orange County Ad Agency, so we had the same teachers. And so that kind of made the bond even stronger and uh, having a number of people in common that you didn't know just from having worked for that person. Now you start to see my network is connected through this community. I was listening to an interview. It was on the Tim Ferriss podcast. He was talking with... Uh, the CEO of Disney, Bob Iger, he is kind of known for being able to close a lot of deals. I mean, like, think about all the this, this stuff Disney has acquired in the last decade, right? Marvel, Star Wars. The well, Muppets. Pixar. That was before. Pixar. Yeah. Fox, and he, yeah, Simpsons. so he, he's known for being able to, like, talk to people and close deals and Tim was asking him about this kind of stuff like how do you or I don't, I don't know if he even came out of him asking about it he just mentioned that when he goes on podcasts or when he goes to talk to anybody he always does some background research on them and tries to find some common trait among them and it could be something really general like oh we both have a, a, a daughter or something like that mm-hmm. or and they're like the same age and we're going through the same thing some mm-hmm. kind of thing they could bond with yeah that'll create that connection where it's not like a, a business transaction anymore and now they're just people talking yeah um it makes connection yeah and i thought that was yeah that's smart. nice you're more yeah. likely to like this person yeah like you know you'll find out that you used to live in the same town some weird town that nobody knows about, but you two lived there. Yeah. Or that you both like pizza from New York and, or whatever. <laughs> so stalk the person that you want to make a deal with and find exactly. out the most intimate details. Not the most intimate. Stuff that's online. I feel that way when I find <laughs> somebody knows Robert Beverly Hale and they know his his videos and they know a couple of his books and they know that one book that has his name on it that wasn't written by him. and. And it's like, okay, you and I know who Robert Beverly Hale is, and, and so we're excited about it. There is a connection that. Even finding yeah. out that Steve uh, Houston liked Robert McKee. Was, I'd never even met Steve Houston. And yet, the fact that we have a teacher in common whom we both admire yeah, makes me feel like I know him. Yeah. So I, I think we covered that now. Then the, How do you recreate that alumni feeling? There's a lot of other things that could create that connection That's right. with other people. But that's not the only benefit of a having a community being part of something there's those are the part of being in one now that helps to support you help you deal with problems yeah right well i found that when i was interested in storytelling teachers i was trying to get everybody else interested in it and most people weren't but then when i found a friend who was also interested in this and then we plowed through all of this teaching material what a bonding that created. It created, and, and even a working relationship it created. Mm-hmm. There is one way to create community. You create community around mutual interest, a subject, and even specific teachers who you feel like they give you a lot. And then you hang out, study that stuff. But that creates a community. Yeah, that's, that's back to the thing that we talked about earlier. You can choose your teachers. And when two or three people choose the same teacher, you're bonding around that. 
Uh, here's the biggest problem with this. The people that are not in this area, they aren't in Southern California. They can't just take classes at in Pasadena and meet all the people in the industry. Right. What do they do? There's artists everywhere. You know, I mean, uh, yes, California, New York are much more dense in, art, you know, people who are artists. You You need to actively seek out artists around you and communities around you that are somehow related. It might not be that they're all oil painters, but that they're they're artists in some way, that they're being creative in some way. I think it's important to actually put effort into looking for it and not just hope that it'll happen. I get messages and, and uh, emails from people who tell me that I have tried that. Mm. And what, what was the problem? And there's nobody here. <laughs> I have a student who was in New Zealand, which is where Weta is, who is now in Fullerton and studying at the community college, uh, who has let me know a number of times there was nobody there okay. that she could find that was going to share what she's got now that she's moved here. And one of my okay. students... Okay, well, so she moved. Yeah, she so did So she move. solved the problem. Yeah. I mean, if it's really important, if you're an artist and you're trying to do this thing, and it's not important for you to be in some secluded area in the world, then move. That might have be one the life. solution. Okay. Choose let, the best place for you to be. Let me throw something in here <laughs> that was part of the artdepartment.org, part of TED in 2010. Okay. The online school was $30,000 for three years, so it was affordable, and you had these teachers and these assignments. But not everybody wants to just do it online. Mm -hmm. uh, some people want to be with their peers, so yeah. they arranged it. And here's the way I recall it. It was $300 a month to rent a cubicle where you get 10 or 15 others who are going to rent cubicles, and that will pay for the building where you're going to be in that. And they had a pod. Ron and Vanessa had a pod here in San yeah. Diego. There was one in, uh, in uh, Kansas City and in San Francisco and Richmond and, and other places. And so people would move here in order to do this. But it's really expensive. But there were... And they're watching this, so they, they would know. I think there were five guys in one one-bedroom apartment that each had their area where their sleeping bag or their, we could. Yeah, but the thing is, they spent 16 hours a day at the studio, walking distance to where they would only use the, only use the apartment for showering and sleeping. And then the rest of it was going to the museums together, uh, hanging out and having opinions about art together. I went mm -hmm. down there and uh, watched movies with them a number of times. And it was a community that, again, as I've mentioned before, it was the fastest trajectory to mastery and to professional opportunities that I've ever seen in the history of my teaching. And that was a big part of it. They were, so there were a couple there that were always there working. And so if you weren't always there working, you sort of felt like I'm the yeah. slacker by comparison. The, they were part of a school. They were part of a school. <laughs> And, uh, but they, they, you know, you could do this on your own, yeah. but it's just trying to find with whom. Yeah. So I know San Diego has Liberty Station and there's a whole building where every office room is filled with artists. Uh, the Liberty Station that we photographed that Brandon and I yeah. and Katie and I photographed? Yeah. One of those buildings is just filled with artists. I had no idea. Two stories, hallway on each with rooms on both sides. How does one get in? You rent out a room. You know whether it's affordable? Uh, I think so. Because, you know, it, uh, rent in Southern California is, yeah. is... It's not a room where you sleep. Oh, okay. It's, it's, an, a it's a, You're you renting work. out your studio. This is your workspace. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's 
expensive. That's one way is to move, but it's hard to move on your own. It's hard to move without the support of people who already know yeah. the area who can help you. You, you do need a community when you play. But it in. can be fun too. To I move. think it was Greg Spalenka who said that uh, right, right when he got out of college, he moved to New York. And he said, to me, that is the biggest test of whether you can survive or not is whether you can get out of college and just plop somebody down from a helicopter in the middle of Manhattan and see if they can survive. If they can survive in New York, they can survive. And so he, he took on the challenge. I'm going to go to a place that I don't know. It's going to be all new, but it's where the art industry is, where the illustration industry was very much happening at that time and, uh, and made it happen. Make your way on your it's own. It's a big decision that takes a lot of guts to make. And just like you have to be willing to take a risk because you don't know what's going to happen if you you might hate it. I just I know that my my family moved several times throughout my life. You know, we moved out of Ukraine to the United States. It was a that was a huge move, right? Mm-hmm. My my father pushed really hard to convince my mom to move to it. You know, outside of the Soviet Union to outside of home. Yeah, to the United States across the, the world. Yeah, yeah. To a completely different place where they didn't speak the language even. Right, like imagine, yeah. like just being like, all right, I'm I'm going to Japan. I'm going to move to Japan. Like that sounds kind of fun, actually. But like, you're gonna there's gonna be so many challenges to becoming part of that culture, trying to learn the language, trying to the things that come easy to you now because you know how everything works here. Yeah, that's a biggie. It is a biggie from the Ukraine to the United States, and that was yeah. in Chicago. Yeah, we moved to Chicago, and our life improved. Mm-hmm. And then there was a time when my mom. My mom's company was moving from Chicago to San Diego. And my mom didn't want to because she's like, no, I like it here. And, but I was like, no, it's going to be great. Chicago, San Diego is awesome. He pushed for it and then we moved and it's better here. Yeah. You know, and weather. Yeah, the weather, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Green. Um, so, yeah, it, it takes some guts, I think. And if you really want it and you work for it, I think you, you can make it happen. It's a good challenge. It's a good adventure. And if you're going to an art school, then they take care of a good deal of that. And you're in a place where a whole bunch of people are doing it. And so it's, it eases the shock of it. If you're, what, being part of a school? Of, no, yeah, being part of a school eases the shock of immigrating to right. a new place. Yeah, because you've got that structure part of That's it right. that you're just moving to. Okay, um, maybe this is where to tell the story of Jama. Jama? Yeah. I haven't heard. Th- what is the story? Oh, Jama. Was one a, of our online students. Okay. Jama, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Jama. Jama Zhurabayev, I hope I'm pronouncing. If I'm not, I forgive me because you know I think the world of you. Jama was in Tajikistan. Yes, I have. Tajikistan had an electricity curfew at 10.30 p.m. I was teaching from Laguna Niguel in the late morning and early afternoon. And so the time that it came on, he couldn't even get in on the live classes. So he had to listen to the recordings when he had access to electricity. But when he put his homework up, everybody feels like this guy isn't really doing his homework. He's getting some great master that we've ever, never seen to do it. They were the assignments and he had a way of, of arranging his lights and darks and composing that took our breath away. And I don't think there was once or twice that I ever taught him in a live class where he was in there, but he was really appreciative, sent me notes about how appreciative he was. And we thought, this is, this is a, the, the new era where you can be in Tajikistan and you can have George Pratt as your teacher and Sterling Hundley as your teacher and John Foster as your teacher. And so that he's getting that. Yeah. And he was so good that he was, as a number of those students were, gossiped about 
regularly. Have you seen Jama's? Have you have you seen this guy's work? And then that starts to get gossiped outside of the school because so many of these teachers are active in the industry. Pretty soon, Shama's not in Tajikistan anymore. He's in the UK and he's working at a game company and he's a prized concept artist, which that could that could not have happened in previous generations. And I met Shama for the first time in oh, person dang. 10 years later at Lightbox. Dude, he's really good. He's really good. That was community with a connection that, you know, it used to be that whatever tribe you were born into, you pretty much had to choose your mate from that tribe or maybe a few nearby tribes, but you didn't have much that you could move out to. Uh, and the world is completely different now. You are connected in community with people that are on the other side of the world and speak other languages. Yeah. And so this is a time where community can happen online enough yeah. to where you connect into what gets your career going and moves you to that place. The best way to move to a place, if you can, is to have them pay you to move. Companies, when they move you, often include a six to $8,000 moving fee to bring you out to their place. I have a student who just moved from here to uh, Maryland who they, they paid for her to move there and be a full-time concept artist there. Yeah. So that's great if you can do it that way. Yeah, the, Jama seems like the type of person that it doesn't matter what difficulties he's faced with, he's gonna do everything it takes to get past that and find a solution. But he, he did it. Yeah, and he is one of 15 students that I wanna mention by name, but I asked him if it was okay to mention him by name on this podcast, and he said that it was. Yeah. Uh, but there were a number of them, and they came from all sorts of areas, united by this online thing, and then if they could spend $300 extra a month and then share rent or, or with someone else, uh, to plug into that community, hang around those those people, and that's where community happens. You go to museums together, you watch movies together, you share opinions about those uh, movies and those museums and those painters, you stand in the same physical space and put up the pieces on your wall that you talk about so that you are constantly interacting. And that is, that's if you've got harmonious community that way, that's the best way. But that doesn't mean that virtual community isn't real. If, if you have a strong enough virtual community, there's no reason why you can't like make a bond with some people and maybe come up with a plan to move together to some place. That's another thing, support yeah. Support each other. Yeah, I know of a virtual community, but a lot of them ended up realizing that they're like really close together in Europe, and sometimes they get together for and like do museum tours and stuff. It's the hanging out. It's also that Ron Lemon put them through rigorous homework to where they had a summer where they had to shade and tint and modulate the hue with paint, not mm -hmm. digitally. And they were miserable. They had to get Ron's approval. And by the end of that summer, they came out as people who really knew their paint. He taught that class at Watts yeah. as well. And it was in oil yeah. at Watts. And I remember giving that assignment in the late 90s at, a, at an art school, actually, and the students did not like it. They complained about it, and of most of them didn't even ever, ever succeed with it. That summer that they were doing it here in San Diego, they weren't getting any credit for that. They were getting it because they were part of a community where you, you will toe the line if you're part of this community. And because every, that was the one summer where it was hard to get together with any of them 
because they always had to say no because they were working on their color wheel. But they got the reward for it. I didn't complain about it because I knew why I was doing it. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wasn't doing it just to have a finished color wheel at the end. Well, there is the difference between doing it for a grade, doing it to have finished this class, and doing it out of the best reason, because it's going to give me mastery, and out of maybe a little less good reason, but it's still a good reason, because I want to be a part of this club. I'm in this club. This is what we do if we are in this family. And so I belong here, so I will toe the line and go through and mix every one of these so I succeed. And when the teacher says, no, it's not good enough, you got to do it again, uh, but you're going to go do it again. And then you've passed and you've got that satisfaction of having suffered through to where you understand your paint. To me, it felt like a puzzle uh-huh. and I like solving puzzles. Yeah. So it was a fun puzzle. The <laughs> attitude it. of a learner. Now, I want to mention something that I learned from my brother. My brother has always had dogs and sometimes more than one dog at a time. And he told me something about dogs, that you get a good set of dogs in the house that know what the rules are and know how to make it happen so that there's harmony. And he said, you could bring in a wild dog yeah, and it's gonna pick up the vibe of those dogs and become like them. And I thought that's what you want in a community, that you say, I, these people, are the people that I want to be like. And so to go in, like a dog would go in and say, teach me how to be like you, is a great way to submit for your own strength. It's easier to have harmony among like-minded friends. When you get a group of Republicans or a group of Democrats together, when you get a group of people who share some philosophy, it's easy to become us and them. And because we're us, we're going to get along. We're going to prove it. that can have its downside too, obviously. But one of the ways that I've seen it happen for better and worse is with homeschoolers. Uh, I have had a number of students who were homeschooled and one of the problems that I've seen with it is that when you are homeschooled, you are among like-minded people. And then when you go out into the world that is not of like mind and have not been prepared to deal with a pluralistic environment, it can be really rough. And I have seen some students Mm. who have come from homeschooling environments that their social skills were real problems for them. And yet, one of the most competent people socially that I know of who goes in and creates goodwill in all sorts of social environments was homeschooled. In fact, you know her, uh, April. Uh, And I've known a few like that, that actually their homeschooling was obviously an advantage. Well, maybe because her parents were very social and would bring her along all the time. Right. Her parents were good homeschoolers. Yeah. And she was, uh, and she she just came out with a great education. She also had at least two college degrees by the time she was still a teenager. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. She has two degrees, science degrees. Her dad asked me about, you know, does she need a degree to be an artist? And I said, you know, she does not need a degree to be an artist. And are you sure about that? And I explained to him that when they are casting for the movie, they don't say, not sure whether we should cast Tom Cruise in this movie. He doesn't have a degree. We've got someone here with a master's in theater. It doesn't work (laughs) that way. And he, okay, I understand. And, And so he gave his sanction to it. And she was one of the students 
who went to the community college and didn't even last two years before she went on to CDA and then would, didn't last two, some, uh, two terms before her teacher hired her, brought her into Hasbro as a uh, full-time concept artist, and she has had a career. Now, I've seen many stories like that happen, but that was an example of someone who did that, and she came from an extraordinary family who had her into college when she, I think, 13 or something like that. The family was a healthy community. That's not something you control. You don't, you don't just go choose your family. That's why you leave your family and you find your people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she was lucky. She was lucky. To have started there. Where this is supposed to be for those of you who are trying to do this on your own, yeah. sorry. <laughs> One big part of networking for me was doing competitions. And there's two different types of competitions, right? There's the challenges thing that I mentioned before, where online there's a bunch of free contests you can be part of that help you practice the thing that you want to practice anyway, and it's a fun thing. But then there's also those juried shows, those you have to pay for to get in, or to even like be part of it. But to me, those were really big because they had something at stake. Mm-hmm. Like I was paying $100 just to enter a contest. Yeah. And because you had to pay money, everybody that was participating was really serious about it. Yeah. You're entering the big leagues. Got skin so in the game. It's a big challenge, like, or a big big competition. And so you kind of, you take it a little more seriously. Mm-hmm. You put more effort into trying to make it something that can win. Okay. And at the end of it, there's a juried show and you have collectors that come and, and, and look and there's a party. And with me, what happened was there was a Oil Painters of America, I think, was mm-hmm. the, um, and they had a jury show in Scottsdale, and I ended up winning the People's Choice Award, mm-hmm. or the Artist's Choice, where all the participating artists voted on their favorite, Yeah, and I ended up winning that one. And the next day, I, I walked around Scottsdale, the street where all the galleries are, and I would say, like, hey, I won. And I ended up getting into one of the galleries there. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I remember, I, even, I think I wrote a blog post about... Here's a list of like 10 competitions that happen regularly every year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to enter all of these. It was motivation to do good paintings. And where was I going? Is that blog post still in existence? It is. I did that blog post, I think, as a, also try to provide a resource for other people. Yeah. And in the, I asked people in the comments, like, hey, did I miss any? Like, let me know. Let's create a list of competitions. So, yeah, I was, I made it a, a a priority of mine to try to enter all these competitions because I know that if you win one, people will notice. People look at the list of winners and yeah. go to their websites. And now, this brings up the issue of accountability. This brings up the issue of community creating structure, uh-huh. deadlines, and a specific task and stakes. I've got a case study of community that is really something worth knowing about. If you have not seen this documentary, Dogtown and Z-Boys 2001, it's not the feature film. There was a feature film that I've never seen called Lords of Dogtown or something like that. This is the documentary made by Stacy Peralta, who was one of the Z-Boys. The Z-Boys were a gang of kids who skateboarded. They were punks who caused trouble in... Venice up there near Santa Monica. This is just up the freeway from where we are. In the 1970s, it is an interesting observation about life because when they made this, the guy who made this 
a documentary film. He became a documentary filmmaker. He's going back to his old friends to see you know what happened over the years. But okay. the story of the Z Boys. Let me tell you about these guys from my point of view. They ditch school. Yeah. They surf all day. They are what people would call the ne'er do wells. And they, the ne'er-do-wells? Yeah, they just, they're not going to do well in school. You know, how okay. are you going to ever have a career? All you do is surf all day. But sometimes yeah. the surf isn't that good over there off that pier. And so you get disgusted with it. And so you decide to sidewalk surf. You're going to skateboard. Okay. And the skateboard craze happened in the 50s and then it died. And then in the late 60s and into the 70s, people aren't skateboarding. Uh, but then it started to revive. And these guys, because they took their skateboarding so seriously, when there were competitions that we, the skateboarding companies who've made these new awesome wheels, we're going to, to give you uh, awards if you're a good skateboarder. Everybody was practicing to be good skateboarders. And they could not compete with these punks who went out there who had lived on their skateboards and did stuff nobody had ever seen before and everybody had to acknowledge this is a whole different world, not from discipline, but from passion. Okay. And then they became rich when they were in their late teens. Now, there's there's two lessons out of this. <laughs> okay, One I wanna, of them I is hear positive, one of them is negative. Okay. The positive lesson is that they created a community most of them came from divorced uh, parents and, and they, they just didn't have anywhere to go, so they made a gang. And they held each other accountable to standards that if you were not, you did not get to be counted as one of us unless you are this good. They were the ones that did the skateboarding in the swimming pools illegally. They had a, a spirit of support, a spirit of competition, a spirit of mutual admiration, a spirit of holding each other accountable, a spirit of keeping people out that aren't up to our standards. Okay. And they succeeded. When you start to say, watch me do it, not with the mainstream way, but with me and my friends, watch us show you how it's done. There is an energy that can come out, out of that that these guys had. Okay. That we are the, uh, we're the underlings, but we're the underling. We don't have the badge, but we're better fighters. Yeah. We don't have the trophies, but we've got better game. And there's an energy in that, that I like to show that to classes at the beginning of the semester and say, here you are at the cheap college. Here you are at the college that when you announce it to your family, they say, oh, because you didn't get into the big Ivy League college. And that if you can embrace that and say, watch us get better than everybody else, then you're developing community. Now, there's a negative side yeah. to it. They became really successful. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow, that's really bad. <laughs> and when they became successful, you have to read between the lines on some of it. There were some personality traits or character traits that started to come to the surface. Yeah, because they were such rebels yeah. to begin with, now they start making bad, continuing to make bad decisions that now have real big consequences, right? Yes. Not just going into someone's pool, but now right. doing something with really big consequences, well, there's, right? There was, there's recent research that has proven that power causes brain damage. <laughs> power causes what? brain damage. It makes it so that the more power like you have, the more head? you are going to not empathize uh, with others. And one of the issues that I picked up out of it, even the first viewing, is a lack of loyalty. 
a, a lack of, it's like, hey, I can do it on my own now. And, uh, and there were some hurt feelings. But I'll let that, that story will come out okay. in the document where you're actually having interviews. The camera's in front of the, the people who are actually a part of this. Now, did they all become successful? Uh, no, there were varying degrees. But here's the thing. This is a model that if you can't afford to do it the way the rich kids do it, do it the way you do it and show them yeah. the street teaches you certain things that being raised in the cushy suburb doesn't teach you. There is an identity in that can be really powerful. And I, I appeal to that. I think there is something about it. A community is a clique. It's a gang. Tell us what you learned about the streets. <laughs> From being raised in the, I, am, I was born in a suburb, raised in a suburb, yeah, lived in a suburb all my life, and, and I, I, I hope I'll die in a suburb. Gotta keep your pencil sharp. These are environments of privilege. We're like we're the kids who went to the art school, right? I mean, we the the ones who uh, had an environment of privilege. These guys didn't have that, but they shone with their. I wouldn't call it a work ethic. I would call it. Uh, you are not going to keep me from painting pictures and doing comics and telling funny stories to my friends. I'm going to do it, whether you want me to do it or not. And so my my title spirit. of this is. Case study, Dogtown and Z-Boys, or How to Succeed by Ditching School and Doing What You Love All Day Long. That's a, a dangerous title. Because all the, all the friends I know from high school that ditched school and did what they loved mm -hmm. ended up doing tar heroin and other lives are ruined. I know what you mean. <laughs> but they're an example, though, of people who were in love with their craft. Yeah. There's a difference yeah. there in yeah. what they chose to do when they ditched school. Yeah. It's also but, exciting, too. I mean, it's exciting to see how good they got on skateboards because there's, there's film of them, and they were astonishing. And it's like, this did not come out in a day or a week. This is from someone devoting themselves to years and also in a community that rewards you for it. You may be a punk. You may treat people badly. But when you get on the skateboard, you are magical, and they say, all right, you you get up here in the top echelons. And so to use that as a metaphor for your watercolor and your pen and ink and your Maya skills, for your storytelling skills, all of those other things, to use it as a metaphor of look how good we are, that's what, that's what I hope this podcast would aim at, creating your own community mm -hmm. that creates structure where you find the knowledge, where you build your knowledge set around a few teachers who are really feeding you and where you essentially create your own art school as project. Boom. Man. Okay. Put that cup down. I think we're done. Yeah. All right, Marshall, what are we talking about next week? We're talking about you got your community. Yeah. And you got your accountability and you got your structure and you got the teachers that you're, are serving you. Now, where are you going to do this? In the alley? In somebody's garage? And how are you going to, where, where are you going to get the money for the Cintiq and the computers and not just one computer, probably multi-computer, workspace and equipment. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Give us those TikToks and your, yeah. your subscribes. We need those TikToks. <laughs> we, we're collecting. <laughs> Trying to collect as many as possible. All right. Okay. Thank See you, ya. Marshall. All right. Thank, Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.